Well, hello, hello all across Rockbridge. My name is Matt, and just glad that y'all are here. Thank you for being here, uh, where our mission, again, is to glorify God by connecting people from all walks of life to life in Christ. And hey, big deal, because we are like one week from being a church with five campuses, our Hickson campus. Yeah, we can all clap for that. Praise God for that. Uh, so we're going to cross the border into Tennessee. I'll have to be careful about my Tennessee and Georgia jokes uh, in the future. But you can help us out. We launch next weekend, next Sunday, the Hickson Middle School. And if you want to go to our like social media page, then you can go there and... You can, there you go, and you can go to rockbridge.cc forward slash Hickson, and you can like some of this, use some of this. That just helps us spread the word as we prepare for 11 a.m. September the 11th in Hickson Middle School. So for the last several weeks, we've been in a series called U-Turn, and we're going to finish that series today. And we've basically been talking about changing direction. We've been talking about changing direction in a variety of areas in our lives and how seeing Christ enables that. And, and seeing who he really is empowers that, inspires that, and, and causes us to turn. And, and as the final chapter of this series ends, what we don't want to do, and we addressed this a little bit last week, is quit too soon. What we don't want to do is fail to arrive at our destination. So here, here's a little bit of a synopsis, and you can check out all these messages online, or if you prefer a CD, we have those in, in our lobby space. So, so once we have the direction we want to move in, once we know, hey, this is where I want to go with God, or this is where I need to go financially, or this is where I want to be in my marriage, or here's how I want to be as a dad or as a parent, or I want to get off of this and get on to that, whatever that new direction is, that does not necessarily mean you will arrive at your destination. That does not necessarily mean you're going to finish the race where you want to go. And so I'll refer to this as a gap, that there is a gap between direction and destination. And what we want to talk about today is what goes in this gap. What goes in this gap? Because if the wrong thing goes here, you won't get here. So distraction can go there. Immediate gratification can go there that I'm going to live for now instead of the destination I, I want to be in. And if you have enough days of this, you're never going to get that to the destination you want, the preferred outcome you want. Procrastination, busyness. How, how many of us as parents or how many of us part of our story is, you know what, my mom and dad gave me a good direction. I, I knew the kind of person they were raising me to be, but then this happened. I made poor choices of friends. So if the wrong thing goes in the gap, you're not going to get to the right destination. And so today, there's really just one word that we're going to unpack. And this is kind of a little bit of a doctrinal message. That means kind of core things that Christians need to believe and need to understand about the God, or the God of the Bible, the God of the cosmos, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what is that one thing that we need to put in the gap to make sure we complete our U-turn, to make sure we get to the destination that God would call us to get to, that we would want to be there. And so the one word is going to come out of, uh, out of the book of Hebrews, but then we're going to like unpack it in the book of Philippians. So I'll put the Hebrews verse up here and we'll read it. You need to persevere, and that's it. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. So when you have moved in this direction and there's a destination to get something that God is promising us, so we need to persevere in that. So what goes in the gap between direction and destination 
is this word perseverance. So what goes in that gap, if we can go to the next slide, what goes in that gap is perseverance. That I, I want to persevere to my destination. I want to wake up every day and do the things I need to be doing to keep moving in the direction that God has called me in or the path that he's placed me in. Now, now here's, what's, here's what's really crazy about that. Do you realize that in our world today, it has become normal to quit? It has become normal to give up on a marriage it has become normal to just expect a would-be or a could-be or a might-be Christian to just lapse into sin without excuse and without, you know, and just to be a backslider. It's become normal to, like, change jobs 50 times. It's just become normal not to persevere in anything. And so when someone gets, like, this Ironman award for playing the same position in the same sport forever and ever, we, like, applaud that. But in the Christian faith, this is the core of what it really means to be a Christ follower and how God would push us through. You all know, you all know kind of what this is like. It's, the word's called resolve euphoria. Resolve euphoria. That means you do something, I'm going to do better the next time. It's a new year, it's a new day, it's a new morning, and then by noon you forgot the kind of day you wanted to have and how you wanted to be in that day because the euphoria wears off. And we're such an event-oriented culture right now where give me the high of the game, give me the high of Friday night, give me the high of the party, and that we're just like, it's like we run off our adrenal gland. Well, our adrenal glands, don't, they're not designed to run all the time. And what we need to become are heart people because your heart pumps all the time. We need to become heart people who persevere in the paths and the directions that our God has called us to and that our God has given, this to, given to us. So what, what if you thought about it this way? Do you think you'll be judged by your intentions or by your perseverance in the right direction? We would love to be judged by our intentions. Isn't that what you say as an excuse? Well, I didn't mean to, and oh, I just thought it would work out better. But really what you get judged by is, did you wake up every single day and, and persevere in the new direction? Persevere in this U-turn we've been talking about for four or five weeks now to arrive at the destination. So what we want to do today is just unpack this word and really give you some tools and some understanding of what it really means to persevere in this new direction. So to do that, we're going to be in the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is written by a man named Paul. He planted a church at Philippi on one of his missionary journeys. You can read about how that church got planted in Acts chapter 16. This is really, really, really a cool story. And then Paul writes them a letter to encourage them. And the verses we're going to look at in chapter 1 are a prayer that Paul prays for the Philippians. And, and this prayer is really a prayer of how he sees them persevering and how he sees them progressing in the right direction to arrive at the right destination. So we're going to pick up Paul's prayer, Philippians chapter 1. We'll pick it up in verse 3. So here's his prayer. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel. The gospel is the story of Jesus' life and Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection for our, uh, to give us life in the kingdom of God. From the first day, that's back in Acts chapter 16, when he shared the gospel with them until now. And so this kind of has the feeling of Paul. Imagine that we're watching a, a marathon, and we've got an aerial shot. And, and really, remember this, because it's perseverance, Christianity is a marathon, not a sprint. 
All right, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And, and like Paul has this aerial shot of all of the race. The, 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 he can see mile zero and 26.2. And he looks at the progress of the Philippians. And he's just so excited of how far they've come from the first day of the gospel until now and where they are in their faith. And he is thanking God for their p- persistence, for their endurance, for their progress, for their perseverance. So the first thing we will unpack is this. Perseverance in anything means progress. Perseverance means progress. Now, I don't, don't think I'm saying perfection, but it does mean that we are making progress day in and day out in, in the right direction. And so Paul looks at this and he celebrates this and he says, this is who we are and, and this is the direction that we're going. Now, why is this so important? And this is important every day that we make progress. See, on your good days, here's what you're going to be tempted to do. On your good days, you're going to be tempted to drift. On your good days, you're going to be tempted to drift away from investing in your marriage, investing in your relationship with God. On your good days, you're going to be tempted to become complacent and say, life is good, I'm okay. On your bad days, you're going to be tempted not to drift, but to quit, to quit God to quit church, say, I, I, I didn't plan on this. I didn't want this to happen. And so day in and day out, we have to understand what it means to make progress. And one of the things I would encourage you to do is to think about your journey with God, not in terms of six months, not in terms of a year, but every day, look back at your day and say, did I make progress? Did I move forward? Did I persevere? Because Paul is looking at first day until today. He's looking at the cumulative effect of day in and day out managing the decision they made to follow Jesus. You know the key to successful people in any endeavor is they make a decision and they manage that decision the rest of their lives. You know how people get in shape? They make a decision to get in shape. And then every day... They manage that decision by doing things that get them in shape. Do you know how Christians progress? Is they make a decision to trust their entire life to the treasure, the king, the supreme one, King Jesus. And then every day we wake up and we start again. Progressing, persevering, running the race. Every day we wake up and we say, look, here's where I was yesterday. And I'm following you today. And I'm moving forward today. And and I'm moving forward in what you've called me to do. So what this means for us practically, though, is understand this. Perseverance is not just being a minimalist. It's not just hanging in there until, like, you die or hanging in there until the rapture comes. Perseverance is, is not just being a minimalist saying, okay, how, you know, God, what's wrong with that? Or, or living your life for some minimal significance or minimal ethics. No, perseverance is there is a life God has called us to live. There is a direction God has called us to move in, and we're going to progress in that direction. And so out of that, here's what we want to do today. The first part of this series, I went through how to kind of know if you're going down the wrong path, how to kind of know you need to make a U-turn. Today, we're just going to flip that, and we're going to show evidence of progress. We're going to show evidence that you are persevering or progressing in, in the faith journey. And if these things are present, then be encouraged. If these things are present, then, then be edified. Then understand that there is something going on in you that is of God. And grab a hold of that and cooperate with God's grace. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And, and then wait until the end. And God can look at you and say, Well done, my son. 
I love you, my daughter. I'm proud to be your dad. Let's continue the journey in Philippians. So here's where we go. So he thanks God. He thanks for their progress. And he says this, verse 6. If you ever want to memorize a scripture verse, I'd highly encourage you to do this one. I am sure of this, that he, capital, we're talking about God, who started a good work in you. So, so we don't start the work. God calls us into his life, into his family, into his kingdom. So he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And we'll come back to what this means a little bit later. But he'll carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So the first thing that we have to understand, and this is foundational, but this is marker number one that we're making progress in our perseverance is that we have absolute trust and absolute confidence that our God will finish what he started. That our God will finish what he started in me in us. And and this is where it all starts. I can't self-initiate my salvation. I have to have God act upon me to raise my morally, ethically dead flesh to new life and to give me a new heart with a new desire and new affections. And so that is foundational that God starts something and God will finish what he started. So that's foundational. But also what we see in this first marker is this. There's a vision for your life in Philippians 1.6. There is a vision for your life that God will finish what he started, that God begins a good work in the Christian, and he will see it through, and he will carry it on to completion. So one thing, just step back, and don't view your life through the lens of I'm a teenager, or the lens of, hey, I'm dealing with this right now, or I'm trying to get to retirement. That is way too narrow. That is way too small in scope. That is not the vision that your soul was wired for. When God says, I will complete the work I began in you, That is him talking about you are his life work. Think about that. You are God's life work if you've trusted Christ as your Savior. You are part of his story. And if we could ever see ourselves in that story of God, we would have a compelling reason to wake up every day with purpose, with vision, with confidence, knowing that God's writing a story in us, through us, with us, by us, and he'll finish it. See, listen, you have a choice. Everybody's got a choice of what story do you, are you a part of. What story are you a part of? Now, there's the story of nothing. And that's increasing in our culture because they're, they're like, hey, we eat, drink, we're married, and we die. It's the story of nothing. Is there is no story. There is no grander work. There is no God working out all this madness and craziness that we see in the world. There's no God working in that. And, and so the earth is just this big rock hurling around this big ball of fire. Then one day it'll all go out and boom, that's it. There's something in your soul, though, that cries at funerals, that smiles at weddings, that wonders, why am I here and do I matter? And the story of none just doesn't satisfy your soul's aches or itches or desires. See, there's a second story, though. There's the story that we can, we can write a story. It's about me, myself, and I. It's my story and, and my story. And a lot of us live that story. And, and we'll attach God to the side, and we let him co-author, maybe edit a few pages if he wants to or if we allow him to. But really, it's the story of me, myself, and I. It's not God who started it, and it's not God who will finish it. It's like, God, you just help what I started, and you help where I want to get. And it's the story of me, myself, and I. Here's the problem with that. God loves you too much to let you settle for yourself. 
And you and I are not designed to just look at the mirror and be in awe of me. Go look at the Grand Canyon. I guarantee you, nobody who has, nobody has ever stood up at the Grand Canyon and said, wow, this world's all about me. <laughs> Life is all about me. Nobody's, done, nobody's gone to the Swiss Alps and pulled out a mirror and said, oh, look at my hair. You know, I look pretty today. No, you just look at that and you're like, wow, this is gorgeous. You were made to stand in awe of someone. Someone who started a good work. Someone who will finish what he started. A good and glorious God. That's the story Paul's talking about. That's the story we've been talking about in U-Turn. The story that God is writing from before time. The story that he'll finish, what Paul says, on the day of Christ Jesus. The story I long for every one of you to see yourself as part of that story. And to say, God, you're the author of it. God, you're the finisher of it. God, I trust you in it. But you got to see that story. And you got to recognize that God will finish what he started. Let me tell you how this happens in my life, okay? Two examples, and they're not real great examples, because, and, I, and I really hesitate to use them, but I'm going to. About three times in, since 14 years ago when we started Rockbridge, about three times I, I've been tempted very strongly to quit. Okay, and it's the reality of the deal. And I don't, I'm not asking for sympathy or anything like that, okay? I'm not telling you that story for... Uh, you, do, you always pray for me, many of you do, and I appreciate it. But, and and I, I think I'm coming out of one of those seasons, to be honest. Been kind of just spiritual warfare stuff. And, 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 and when you're tempted to quit, and listen to me, you look inside yourself and there is no reason that you can find in and of yourself to keep going. And some of you have been like that in your marriage. Some of you have been like that in your walk with God. Some of you have been like that today. Like, I, I don't want to get up in the morning. For me, you know, it's like I'm ready to write the elders and say, I, I resign. And, and there's no reason that you can find inside of yourself. And that tells you and I something that it has to be God. And you read a verse like Philippians 1.6, and you're like, okay, God, I don't feel it, but I'll put my faith in you, and I'll get up this morning. And, I'll per- and I will persevere in the direction you set me on to get to the destination you've called me to. There's times in my life where the temptation to sin and the pleasure of sin have been so strong that I, I desired sin more than I desired Jesus. And I look inside myself with guilt and shame, and my conscience is going off, and there's conviction, but there's just like, man, this just feels good. And there's nothing in me not willpower, not try better next time, no amount of resolve in Matt Evans' flesh to overcome the pull of sin. But then I have a God who says, Matt, I'm in you, and I'll finish what I started. And I'm like, all right, God, I'll trust that. And so I don't stand up here in front of you as a self-made man as a product of Matt's efforts or Matt's 
talents or mats, what it strengths or what. I stand up here. I literally feel like this today. I stand up here only by the grace of God who started in something in me as an eight-year-old little boy and has been faithful to me to the age of 41. That's the story that I'm trying to surrender to every day. Every day. Now, there's a warning that has to be said, okay? Please listen to me. I say this totally to you in love. Here's the warning, though. Habitual sin, inactivity, and passivity in the life of a Christian point to the absence of an essential activity by an external force, God. That if we're dealing with these things continually and repetitively, that could indicate that God's good work in us has never even started. And that's when we need to be saved. And that's when we need to give Jesus the steering wheel of our lives. And that's when we need to see the grace and the mercy of God calling us into his story. Because we're like a lamp that's not connected to electricity. We may look the part, but we're useless in the story. Because we're not in it yet. And that's the warning. But Paul continues in his letter, and he continues on in verse 7, and he says this, It is right for me to think this way about all of you, that God's going to finish what he started. Because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in the grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the establishment of the gospel, the story, the message of Jesus. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you, with the affection of Christ Jesus. And that takes us to number two. But number two through five all rest on number one. See, when, when God envelops you into his story, when God brings you into his family, when you see God's grace and mercy, when you see and sense the purpose, the significance, the reason to get up every day, the reason you take your breath, the reason you've been given your breath, it puts something in you. It puts a desire in you. And that desire is this, that you want to partner in telling the story of God, that you want to be a partner in proclaiming the gospel of God. See, when we, are, are, when we become worshipers of something, when we become partakers of something, we, uh, there's something in us that wants to partner in that. It's my son who comes up to me as I'm like clipping some bushes and says, Dad, can I help with that? Because he wants to be a part of something. It's the football fan who worships the football team who on third down thinks, if I just cheer a little louder, maybe my defense can make the stop. You just want to partner. You want to participate. You want to be a part of that. So as a Christ follower, when you are covered by the grace of God, covered by the blood of Jesus, when you realize God, by His grace, has put you into His forever family to be a part of the story He has been writing since before time began, there's a part of you that says, God, for my 30 years or my 41 years or my 100 years, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. And that's exactly what the Philippian church was doing. They weren't just one day, one hour a week people. They were people who had blood and sweat in the game. They had effort. They were helping advance Paul's mission. And let me tell you how they were doing it. Paul, when he's writing this letter, is in prison. He's in a Roman prison. 
Now, here's the thing about Roman prisons. The prisoners, they didn't feed them. The guards just guarded. They didn't feed the prisoners. They didn't provide clothes for the prisoners. They didn't provide anything except here's your life in this whatever, two by two, five by five, whatever it was. And so people's family and friends had to send things to prisoners. This church at Philippi took up kind of an offering and some resources, and they sacrificially transported it to Paul. And Paul says, thank you for partnering with me. Because while Paul's in prison, you know what he's doing part of the time? He's writing much of the Bible you and I are reading today. Right? So don't you think that what you do today, somebody 2,000 years from now might be praising God. For the people of Rockbridge who gave, who prayed, who invited, who went, who planted, who multiplied. Because gospel partnership is evidence of God producing something in us, through us, and by us. Evidence of progress number three is this. That we begin to love others with the love of God. Paul looks at the church at Philippi and he sees that he has this affection for them and he sees how they're loving them back, loving him back sacrificially. And if there's ever a message that the church needs, if there's ever something we need to embrace as Christ followers is how to love others with the love of God. I know you know how to love each other with however, whatever type of love you've received and, and I'm using that definition of love loosely. I know we have to know how to love each other as we have been loved and some of us have been loved flawed. All of us have been loved flawed from our parents to maybe a husband or a spouse. None of us can love the way God loves until God loves us. And we receive that love and then we can repeat that love. How does God love? He loves sacrificially. He lays down his life. He loves generously. He loves steadfastly. And he loves us to the point that he shows us the most supreme thing he can give us, the the highest treasure he could ever give a human being, and that's his son, Jesus Christ. And so, church, when we talk about loving the world, we're talking about loving the world not with our love. Our love is cranky. Our love doesn't feel like it some days. Our love gets selfish. Our love gets preferential. Our love grows impatient. Our love becomes unforgiving. Our love holds grudges. Our love gets bitter, but not his love. If his love did that, he would never have started a good work in us and promised to complete it. So we as the church, we love others with the love of God. Listen, Christians, let me talk to Christians. Please don't get upset about the results of the election, whatever they are. Please don't hang your hopes on who the next president of the United States is. You want to change the world? You want to make the world a better place? You figure out how to do that in your family. You figure out how to do that in your neighborhood and your job. You figure out how to do that on your kids' little league team. You figure out how to do that. You let the love that God has loved you with in his son flow through you. And as you see that happening, you can celebrate because that is evidence you are persevering. You are progressing. You are moving toward the right destination. All right? So Paul continues and he says this. And I pray that your love, we just talked about it, will keep on growing it's not perfection, but it is progress, right? It's, it's, it's movement. Your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. Isn't it, isn't it crazy that he says your love, and he's talking about love for God and love for people, knowledge and discernment. So something about love helps us make decisions. Something about love helps us figure things out. We'll unpack. So that you can approve things that are, and here's the word, superior. 
And so look, suddenly we have gone past having a good life. Suddenly we have gone past, hey, let's have an okay day. Suddenly we have gone past this minimalist mentality. And now Paul is saying, look, as you progress, we are moving toward what is supreme and what is superior. So Paul says, have a vision bigger than for your life than, hey, today was a good day. Today was a superior day. Have a vision for your life bigger than, hey, uh, you know, I'm just this average Joe and I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Have a vision bigger than that. And that becomes evidence for us that we have this, this is number four, we have this increasing discernment and decision making that guards and deepens our love for Jesus. So let's talk about how we make decisions, because that's what he's talking about. He's saying that your love for Christ, your love for Christ will begin to be how you make decisions. You've made decisions based on love before. Your love for football is going to dictate what some of you do all day Saturday, right? Your love for your spouse has dictated decisions you've made. Your love for your kids has dictated decisions you have made. Your love for technology has dictated decisions you have made. And what Paul says, you keep on growing in your love for Christ and let that be how you test, not whether something is good or bad or not, but whether something is superior or not. We, we get a glimpse of this in, in the book of Hebrews. And let me read you these verses from Hebrews chapter 12. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares or entangles us. Let us run, here's our word, endurance or perseverance. The race, new direction, God put us on, that lies before us. Or before us. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, he's the reason, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for joy, the joy that lay before him endured a cross, despised its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. So here's the point of this passage, and this is where love for Jesus comes in. Why does the author of Hebrews say every weight and sin? Because I'm like, I, I, I thought it was all about avoiding sin. I thought it was about don't do this, don't do that, go home and, and come back next week. And he says, no, 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 not just sin, but every weight. Do you realize there are things that are not sinful that still can diminish and decrease your love for Jesus? Do you realize there's things where there's nothing really wrong with that that really rob you of your love for Jesus and diminish your love for Jesus? Do you realize that? Do you realize that good things in your life can be enemies of the superior one who is in your life? So we can't go around asking these questions. Is there anything wrong with it? Or how far is too far? Or hey, I, I don't see anything wrong with one beer. I don't see anything wrong with that. You know, wh- whatever those little things are. Because when you start down that path of logic, you are starting down a path where your progress and your perseverance is in question. Because you know, if you're a Christ follower, do you know what your number one calling is? It's not to stay alive. It's to stay in love with King Jesus. That's it. That's your calling. Here's what I know. There are people all over, in churches, all over this country, and they feel their number one job is to stay, in lo- stay alive, but they ain't in love with Jesus. It's somehow we've equated staying, in li- staying alive for a long time as that means God's with us. All the people that read this, wrote this book, many of them were killed for following our God. The calling is to stay in love with Jesus to the end. Think about, think about two people. 
Let me think about two people that died on a cross, not Jesus. Let me think about a guy named the thief on the cross. He was a robber crucified next to Jesus. Did he, can you become a Christian on your deathbed? He did. He professed faith in Jesus and he lived. You know what he did? After he professed faith in Jesus, he told people about Jesus. Remember the other robber, if you read the stories in the Gospels, is, is saying, you know, slandering Jesus, and he says he's done nothing wrong. He proclaims Jesus' sinlessness from a cross, and then he dies, and, he's with and you'll see him in heaven. He'll be there. He'll be there, because he made progress in the five minutes or, how, or five hours of life he had left, and he partnered with Jesus. He did. Let's talk about another guy named Andrew, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He died on what we call today Andrew's cross. That means he's crucified like this with his legs spread apart. Okay, so he's crucified like this. Here's the deal with Andrew, though. It took him several days to die. You know what he did while he waited to die? As people walked by, he told them about Jesus. That's what he did. In love with Jesus to the end. So when you're making decisions, hey, what college do I go to? Should I date this guy? Should I not date this guy? How should I spend my time? Here's the, two, here's the question. Does it help or hinder my love for Christ? Some of you who spend all of your time on social media, there's no way that helps your love for Jesus. Because I meet you when you're done. You're like mad at everybody. <laughs> I'm not going to say any names. I'm only half kidding. <laughs> you know, your calling is not to watch TV eight hours a day while your Bible sits closed and you say, well, God never speaks to me. It's not your calling. That does not help your love for Jesus. Guys, I know football season's about to start. I'm pretty fired up too, but our calling is not to be a fan. First, to be a fan of a football team. Our calling is to be a follower of Jesus. See, all, not, not everything I just mentioned, social media, TV, football... Nothing wrong with them. Unless they get in the way. Say it another way. Does doing this, whatever this is, help me run the right race? The U-turn, the right direction, the right destination. Does this help me run the right race? If you would lay those two questions over any and every decision you ever make, You'll look back at your life six months, six years, 60 years from now, and you'll be like, man, God's hand has been with me. And God will be well pleased. Paul closes his prayer with these words. He says this, so that you can approve the things that are superior. We talked about that. And can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Notice what he says, pure and blameless. This isn't just arriving in the day of Christ by the skin of our teeth. This isn't just arriving because, oh, I prayed that prayer when I was eight years old and hadn't done anything with it since. It's not that. Pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. So we're making progress aiming at one day. The final evidence that we're on the right path, that we're making progress, is that we're living for the right day. You know, I see this. We all do this. We all live for certain days, don't we? My son's got a birthday coming up in a couple of weeks. That's all he's talking about. I get it. Couples that are engaged, got a wedding date circled on the calendar, and they're living for that day. I get it. That's, those are great days. Nothing wrong with birthdays. Nothing wrong with weddings. 
Some of you are, are just living for kickoff, right, on Friday night or on Saturday. I, I understand that. We all have these days. You're living for first. Some of you, TGIF, baby, I'm living for that day, right? So we're all living for a day. But here's what I want you to know. There is coming a day because Jesus promised, and Jesus promised he'd come back from the dead, and he did. So when he promises to come again, I know he's going to back that promise up, and it's good. So there's going to come a day when Jesus shows up to close out this portion of history. And that day may come during our physical lifetimes. It may come after we've died, but there will still be a reckoning on that day, and there'll still be a presentation on that day where we will be presented to Jesus, and we want to be presented to Jesus pure and blameless. We want to be presented to Jesus in such a way that he is honored by our perseverance, by our progress, not our perfection, but by our perseverance and our progress, and that we are more in love with Jesus on that day than we were on the first day. And so live for that day. Don't let election day, don't let graduation day, don't let the day of your retirement, don't let anniversaries, don't let wedding days, don't let anything get in the way of that day. And you live for that day. You wake up every day thinking about that day. Because that day, For those that God began a good work in, that day is going to be better than 20 million of your best days in this life. So remember this, who who we'll be, who we will be on the day of Christ depends on how we make progress today. You keep going, church. You keep persevering. It's worth it. And with Jesus... The best always is yet to come. Let me pray with you. God, I thank you for lives in this room. So many folks, God, that you have saved them, called them, and began a good work in them. And I praise you for that. I pray, God, they are encouraged by your promise to finish what you started. I pray, God, they are captivated by the partnership they have with the gospel, by the ambitions to live for your glory. I pray, God, if there's anybody in this room right now that's kind of like where I have been in a recent season, kind of ready to quit or kind of more tempted to sin than to follow you, that right now, God, you give them a spirit of endurance, a spirit of perseverance, that you empower them by the presence of your Holy Spirit and by the promise that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until up to the day of King Christ Jesus. And God, I pray for those people who maybe, maybe they've realized they're not part of your story, that you haven't started a work in them because they haven't let you in. They haven't responded. They haven't surrendered. They haven't given you their sins and the steering wheel of their lives. God, if there's anybody here right now that, that, that you are speaking to them, saying, turn it over to me, saying, give me your sins, give me your life. And Jesus, you're calling them, you're beginning, you're stirring, you're wooing, you're drawing them. Lord, I pray that you would hear in their hearts them saying, yes, yes, I'm calling you, yes, my Savior, I'm calling you my Lord, yes to Jesus. I pray that's happening in heart after heart after heart. God. Help us right now with our imagination to imagine what it's going to be like on the day. Not a day to fear, 
a day to anticipate, a day to hope for, a day to live for, a day to persevere towards. All praise and glory to you, King Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.